China has a quarter of the world's Alzheimer's patients. With the country's gray population growing rapidly, the number of patients will likely increase fourfold by 2050. Meet the patients, their families and caregivers, and discover the anxiety, struggle and misconceptions behind one of the biggest problems of an aging society in our documentary, Aging in China, Living with Alzheimer's, on CGTN Radio. For podcast listeners, search The Top Story and find the program on all popular podcast apps on September the 21st, the 30th World Alzheimer's Day. Get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Friday, September 15th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, China and Zambia have upgraded bilateral relations following a meeting between the presidents of the two countries. The head of the UN Weather Agency says the flood disaster in Libya could have been avoided. The first defendant in Brazil's capital riots case gets a 17-year prison term. In business, China's economy recorded growth in several sectors in August. In sports, a Chinese football star is headed to the UK. In culture and entertainment, China's rapidly growing gaming industry. Now checking the day's top stories. China and Zambia have agreed to upgrade ties to a comprehensive strategic cooperative partnership. The announcement came after Chinese President Xi Jinping held talks with the Zambian counterpart Hekonde Hichilema in Beijing. President Xi called on the two sides to keep promoting their friendly cooperation, practice true multilateralism, and safeguard the interests of developing countries. The Zambian president's in China for a state visit. Lu Serei has more from Beijing. On the morning of September 15th, President Xi Jinping has held talks with Zambian President Hichilema at the Great Hall of the People. And the two also attended a signing ceremony and announced the two countries are elevating their relationship. And in fact, before arriving in Beijing, the Zambian president has visited Shenzhen. He had very busy schedule in Shenzhen, visiting five companies in two days. He has met with Tencent, the social media and gaming giant who uh, invested tens of millions of dollars in Africa through supporting startups in the areas and also uh, the president is particularly interested in e-governance which allows citizens to access most government resources online. That was Lu Surrey reporting. On the same day, the Chinese president also met Cambodian Prime Minister Hun Minette in Beijing. The president told the prime minister that China will remain Cambodia's most reliable friend. And China is willing to continue to work with Cambodia on cross-border security, education, health care and tourism. Hun Minette is on his first official trip since he took office. He says he chose China as a gesture of the new Cambodian government's friendship. Senior Chinese official Li Shi is attending the G77 plus China summit in Cuba as a special representative for uh, President Xi Jinping. Li is a standing committee member of the Political Bureau of the CPC Central Committee. He'll also pay official visits to Cuba, Brazil, and Egypt. Uh, The summit in Cuba uh, focuses on development, science, and innovation. Luis Chirino in Havana spoke with former Cuban diplomat Carlos Alzaguerri about the event's significance. The group of 77 was established in 1964 by 77 developing countries. Over time, the group has grown. 
When the bloc meets in Havana on September 15 and 16, the coalition will include more than 130 nations looking to promote their economic interests. G77 plus China now represents about 80% of the world's population and over two-thirds of the United Nations membership. This group emerges from the demands that were made on, on the capitalist, developed capitalist world by third world countries. So the group became one of the most important factors of uh, international relations at the United Nations, but its original agenda was mainly economic and social. China's foreign ministry has expressed optimism the G77 plus China summit will safeguard international justice and defend the common interests of its members. Analysts say the summit is a forum where developing countries can play a role in setting the global political agenda for development with other nations. The summit can make a contribution by mobilizing the forces of the South in, in the defense of putting science at the service of people, not putting science at the service of profits. The forum's agenda is expected to include discussions about social justice, climate change and world order. Cuban president is the rotating chair of the G77 plus China. He hopes the summit will strengthen unity among developing countries in a variety of economic and social fields. Earlier this year, G77 ministers of education and the environment held meetings in Havana and adopted a number of agreements. At last August summit of the BRICS economic bloc in South Africa, Cuban President Miguel Díaz-Canel stressed the need for BRICS and the G77 to face world challenges. The G77 and the BRICS have the opportunity to generate a historic transformation. For the sake of future generations, let's do it. The Cuban leader invited the BRICS members to participate at the upcoming forum and to address ways to help third world nations on the road to a better future. And that was uh, Luis Trino reporting from Havana. Uh, China's built the first underwater tunnel in South Asia in Bangladesh. Ubin visited the country's second largest city to find out its significance for the local community in Bangladesh's pursuit of, uh, for development and modernization. Chattogram, Bangladesh's second largest city, is bisected by the Karnapuli River with the city center and airport on the West Bank. The two river banks are currently connected mostly by one bridge limiting the development in the east as well as in southern cities. But since the tunnel project's launch in 2017, this is about to change. As the first underwater traffic tunnel to be built in Bangladesh and South Asia, it's believed that the project will help boost the development of the country's second largest city. And is named after the nation's founding father, former president, Bangabandhu Sheikh Mojibar Rahman. Zhang He is among the first Chinese employees on the project since 2017. With the tunnel now in its final stage, Zhang is busier than usual, engaging in extensive discussions with on-site engineers. He says he's emotional, looking at the tunnel and remembering memories of the challenging early days and tough questions he once faced. As an underground project, we had to do a lot of preparation in the early stages. The project started in 2017 and a tunneling machine arrived to dig the tunnels in 2018. There was more than a year in between when the local government didn't see much construction. They would worry if the project would be left unfinished. Ultimately, the company earned Bangladesh's trust with high-quality construction. 
The entire route is over nine kilometers in length, with a tunnel making up a third of it. The Shio Tunnel has a double track and four lanes, with a diameter of 11.8 meters and a design speed of 80 kilometers per hour. It follows Chinese standards and techniques, so in many aspects, it resembles tunnels in China. Including a central digital platform that monitors and controls conditions inside the tunnel, such as traffic flow. Once complete, it slashes airport to east side travel from two hours to just 15 minutes, a joint achievement of both nations. Osman Uding, one of over 5,000 Bangladeshi employees, now drives on the new expressway, witnessing the area's transformation firsthand. The country believes the tunnel will attract more investment to the East Bank and is planning to build an industrial belt in the region. Osman is proud of contributing to the development of his hometown. I've gained a lot of experience working on this tunnel project. I'm proud of our work here. It will be beneficial to the people from both the West Banga Panaga and East Banga Anwara. This October, the tunnel will be officially handed over to Bangladesh, already standing as a local landmark. Some believe it does more than connect to riverbanks. It also bridges the hearts of people from both nations. That was Ubin reporting from Bangladesh. Coming up, the UN Weather Agency says Libya's flooding tragedy was largely avoidable. An unusual selection of seafood products has sparked widespread discussions in China. As your place of origin is Xinjiang, a region thousands of kilometers away from the coastline. Join Deep Dive this week to explore the thriving seafood industry deep in the desert. How is seafood produced without a marine environment? How can inland aquatic products still be competitive in China's coastal regions, where people are known as connoisseurs of premium seafood? Available on all major podcast platforms, just search for Deep Dive. Right, 10 minutes past the hour. Well, the head of the United Nations Weather Agency says the flood disaster in Libya could have been avoided. More than 11,000 are now confirmed dead. But Terry Tallis at the World Meteorological Organization says adequate warning and planning are crucial. If there would have been a normally operating meteorological service, uh, they could have issued the warnings and, uh, and, and also the emergency management authorities would have been able to carry out evacuation of the of the people and we could have lost, uh, avoided most of the human human casualties. WMO earlier said that Libya's National Meteorological Center had issued warnings 72 hours before the flooding and notified all government authorities. Authorities are demanding an investigation into whether human failings are behind the heavy casualties. Libya's eastern administrations approved a budget of 10 billion diners, or roughly uh, nearly 2 billion U.S. dollars, for rescue and relief operations. Uh, for more on how people are dealing with the devastation, Ahmed Abar reports from Tripoli. We have to highlight the necessity to focus on other disaster zones besides Derna, they are peripheral zones. They have a smaller uh, population, however, uh, most of them, they've been uh, isolated for the past three days because there are accessible roads to reach them. Uh, in terms of, of survivors, they've been uh, announcing that the survivors is, uh, are nearly 500 survivors from Darna. It's four days and it's just become more difficult and more to find any survivors. However, 
there were uh, two missing members of the Red Crescent for the past three days. They've been trying to uh, to to help in the rescue operation, but that they were dead. Both of them, they were rescued after three days of, of just being gone and missing. So such indicators, such um, text messages that we have received from trapped and stuck families requesting help, it gives us a hope that there is uh, some part we can do, there is some sort of, uh, of, of a hope that we can save more lives and we can reduce this, this casualty number. That was Ahmed Abar reporting. In Morocco, aid has reached earthquake hit areas and most roads are open. But for many survivors, they need a long time to heal from the trauma. Crisis counselors play an important role in that. Ken Brown spoke to a team from Hong Kong offering psychological counseling. Tears flow in the village of Tigoramine. Hafida is a mother weeping for her son. She is dealing with the aftermath of the earthquake and trying to care for a son with epilepsy. Another tremor rattles the village as we arrive. Everyone stays outside fearing the worst. People in this goat herding village try to make sense of what's happened. Hafida fears for the future. We need homes and care. We sleep outside so we don't rest well and we're filled with fear. Tigaramina village lies less than 15 kilometers from the epicenter at the heart of the Atlas Mountains. And while the people here may have been spared the worst of this catastrophe, physical scars, healing, the mental trauma will take much longer to repair. Timothy To has arrived in Morocco from Hong Kong, China, with his post-crisis trauma team. Traveling the treacherous Atlas Mountain roads, they arrive at the village. To and his team comfort the villagers who talk, cry and tell their stories of the recent catastrophe. A healing process that's only just begun. After the earthquake, uh, most of the people are in the first state of the, uh, the, the grieving period, okay, they cannot believe it is real. We definitely can help them to get rid of the negative emotion and negative thought. Dozens of villages are in desperate need of both physical help and psychological support. The earthquake has left deep wounds. Experienced in trauma treatment, this is the 27th disaster zone that To has visited to provide post-crisis relief. His recent earthquake experience from Turkey and Syria, as well as Sichuan, China, in 2008 is invaluable. He says failure to treat trauma can have long-lasting consequences. Obviously, we understand that physical support is the most important in the first stage, but uh, you can't believe that if the people, they have their house rebuilt, um, they have uh, their, their food, uh, very good school rebuilding, but uh, they could be you know, suicide, uh, or maybe to, to uh, do something harmful. To and PCCN are providing trauma care now and for the coming weeks in Morocco. But their long-term plan is to train local trauma psychologists to continue the work they've started. For now, in Tigoramine, the tears continue to flow as the community comes to terms with what has happened. That was Ken Brown reporting.
Well, scientists say an underwater volcanic eruption off Tonga may be partly to blame for the record high temperatures around the world. The eruption ejected millions of tons of water vapor and hundreds of thousands of tons of sulfur dioxide into the stratosphere. A study says the eruption slightly increased the risk that global temperatures will temporarily breach 1.5 degrees Celsius in at least one of the next five years. Experts say this is the first volcano in the observational record that may warm rather than cool the surface. Previously, most volcanic eruptions cooled the earth by dimming sunshine with an ashen veil. More than 20 diplomats have toured eastern China to learn about green development. They went to Jiangsu to see how new energy vehicles are produced there. Guo Tianqi has joined them. China currently holds the title of the world's largest market for new energy vehicles, with NEVs accounting for a domestic market share of more than 32% in August. This marks the fourth consecutive month that NEVs have surpassed the 30% mark. One of the biggest domestic brands in the growing industry is Li Auto, which established its first manufacturing facility in Changzhou. I've been to Li Auto also, uh, but every year they have a new, bre- a new car on the road, so it's quite amazing. Uh, Changzhou is uh, the city that we have a technological park in, uh, which is a, a joint uh, activity between our, both our governments, yes? so it has a special meaning. Uh, because our governments instructed us to work in Changzhou. Some uh, 50 companies, Israeli companies, uh, startup companies mostly, that are located in the park. So we have a special place uh, in our hearts for Changzhou. Yeah, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, the future is truly now, uh, and it's good to see leading companies uh, leading by example. Uh, and I think there's a lot of compatible things between uh, what is being done here in China and what is being done in countries such as Portugal, where I'm from. Uh, and definitely we hope to see more cooperation in that way. In addition to manufacturing, when it comes to combining artificial intelligence and NEVs, Jiangsu has gone further. As the country's first national-level in town of the Internet of Vehicles, here in the Wuxi city, the 45-square-kilometer area has already achieved the full coverage of the intelligent network facilities, and the experience of future starts here. Vehicle-to-road collaboration makes autonomous driving possible. One example, the sightseeing buses in Gonghuan Wetland Park, now replaced by driverless vehicles. Very interesting. Uh, First time on a driverless vehicle. Great opportunity to explore the wetlands in an interesting and innovative new technology. It's a very calm kind of feeling. Um, But I think, you know, you start with these kind of routes uh, to develop the technology more and build confidence in the passengers and it's an important first step. Driverless buses operate on six routes in Wuxi, with nearly 50 stops, including subway stations, supermarkets, and residential area. And it can all be conveniently booked through a smartphone. That was Guo Tianqi in Jiangsu. Many Taiwan compatriots living in Fujian are welcoming the measures on furthering, uh, further deepening cross-strait cooperation. Mainland authorities recently unveiled a plan to build the eastern province into a demonstration zone for integrated development. The circular says students are welcome to study in Fujian and employees are encouraged to work in the province. Enterprises in Fujian are also encouraged to hire more Taiwan employees and physicians from the island are allowed to practice in Fujian. Uh, Lao Xinyan, who works in Xiamen, 
Common says the measures will help Taiwan compatriots put their talents to better use. The new policies encourage more young people from Taiwan, especially professionals, to come to work in Fujian. This includes expanding the recruitment of teachers from Taiwan and recognizing more vocational qualifications of Taiwan. I believe more promising young people from Taiwan can find their opportunities in Fujian and demonstrate their skills on a larger stage. The circular says Fujian should provide a better business environment for Taiwan compatriots and enterprises and advance industrial cooperation. Vice President Su Fei Chun of the Association of Taiwan Investment Enterprises in Xiamen says the move is important for economic integration. It has many measures that can be directly implemented, including the cross-strait integration in logistics, business environment, e-commerce and catering industries. It can not only improve the business environment for Taiwan-invested enterprises, but provide more opportunities for Taiwan compatriots who are seeking jobs. There are also measures to encourage young people from Taiwan to start businesses in Fujian. Co-founder Lim Ming-Chung of Taiwan-based Yali Media uh, says they'll have great appeal. Institutional support will uh, also be strengthened for employment, health services, housing, elderly care services, and social assistance for Taiwan compatriots in Fujian. The integrated development between Xiamen and Kinmen will also be accelerated with Kinmen residents living in Xiamen to enjoy the same treatment as locals. China's top diplomat in Geneva has called on the United Nations Human Rights Council to pay more attention to Japan's uh, Japan's release of nuclear contaminated water into the ocean. Uh, Chen Shu pointed out that Japan's decision to unilaterally start the discharge seriously violates the rights to health, development and environment of people in Pacific coastal countries and even around the world. The head of the Chinese mission to the UN said that if the wastewater from the Fukushima nuclear power plant is safe, Japan wouldn't have to dump it and shouldn't if it's not. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, a long prison sentence for one of the capital riot suspects in Brazil. China has a quarter of the world's Alzheimer's patients. With the country's gray population growing rapidly, the number of patients will likely increase fourfold by 2050. Meet the patients, their families and caregivers, and discover the anxiety, struggle and misconceptions behind one of the biggest problems of an aging society in our documentary, Aging in China, Living with Alzheimer's, on CGTN Radio. For podcast listeners, search The Top Story and find the program on all popular podcast apps on September the 21st, the 30th World Alzheimer's Day. It's 22 minutes past the hour. Brazil's Supreme Court has handed out a 17-year jail term to the first defendant to stand trial for the January 8th riot in Brasilia. Supporters of defeated President Jair Bolsonaro stormed government buildings in the capital in protest against newly elected President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva. Paulo Cabral has more. Convicted defendant Aécio Costa Pereira published videos of himself on his social networks on the day of the riots, gloating about being in the chair of the Senate's president while calling for action. It's going to work. Do not give up. Take to the streets. Close the roads. 
Pereira's self-incriminating videos were crucial evidence for his conviction, and this is likely to be the case for other defendants in future trials. Nearly 1,400 people stand accused of various crimes, including attempted coup and destruction of public property for their participation in the January 8th ransacking of Brazil's main seats of power, the Congress, the Presidential Palace and the Supreme Court. In this first trial, all 11 justices voted for Pereira's conviction on several counts, and he was sentenced to 17 years in prison. However, the two judges appointed by former President Jair Bolsonaro acquitted him of the crime of coup d'etat, voting for conviction only for other charges, which carry lesser sentences. A question is, houve por parte de Aécio. The issue at hand is whether Aesio actually attempted a coup d'etat. I understand there wasn't because all coups require an actual anti-democracy action. All defendants accused of involvement in the January 8th riots in Brasilia will be tried based on their individual actions. But the conviction of the first defendant may set the tone for the upcoming trials. The behavior of all of them and the evidence against the defendants are all very similar. There is film of all of them showing their participation. This trial in the Supreme Court is very important because we are creating a legal precedent in defense of democracy. There is a long way to go before all defendants are tried by the Supreme Court, but legal observers say strong punishments are aimed at preventing similar events from happening in the future. That was Paulo Cabral on a long legal battle against those involved in the riot in Brazil earlier this year. A federal court in Delaware has indicted U.S. President Joe Biden's son, Hunter, on firearms charges after a planned plea deal collapsed. The 53-year-old defendant was accused of concealing his drug use during a gun purchase in October of 2018. Three criminal courts are uh, uh, Rather, three criminal counts are related to his alleged false statements in a firearm purchase and illegal gun possession. He'll face up to 25 years in prison if convicted. The indictment came after a planned plea deal between Hunter's lawyer and the U.S. special counsel collapsed in July. Hunter Biden's been under investigation for his foreign business dealings as well. Russian President Vladimir Putin has accepted an invitation to visit North Korea. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has been in Russia for talks to beef up cooperation. He's met with Putin and been to a spaceport and an aircraft plant. The Kremlin says Kim's uh, visit will continue for several days. Dasha Chernyshova reports from Moscow. The understanding is that Kim is interested in aviation industry and that's why he's provided with this opportunity. And this has been described as the military part of his trip to Russia. We also have heard from the Kremlin the confirmation that the Russian president Vladimir Putin has accepted gratefully the invitation to visit Pyongyang. What we know from the Kremlin is that indeed the Russian foreign minister Sergei Lavrov will be traveling to Pyongyang in October for talks there. We also have heard the Kremlin describing the negotiations that Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un had were constructive and timely. Again, the reference to the timing of this meeting as the two countries seek to deepen their cooperation. Military technical one is said to be the sensitive area, so that's why not much information is provided on that. But Moscow has said that it will be complying with all of its international obligations. But within those, Moscow says there are still possibilities for the cooperation. Uh, other than that, we have heard the sides uh, saying that they will be uh, 
big dipping in their ties in trade, aviation, space technologies, as well as satellite technologies, which Moscow said it will be helping Pyongyang with, as well as a myriad of other areas, including medicine and education. And that was Dasha Chernyshova on relations between Moscow and Pyongyang. A fisheries research vessel has freed a luxury cruise ship with over 200 people on board in Greenland. The ocean explored being stuck in mud and silt in the world's northernmost national park since Monday. The Danish military says the ship will head to a port for a closer examination. An American researcher rescued from a Turkish cave says he thought that he'd die there before an international rescue operation got him out. A 40-year-old Mark Dickey spent 11 days stuck in the cave after falling ill. It got pretty tight at the end there that I could, I could tell that I was, I was pretty close to fading. Um, but what am I telling myself? You just keep surviving and every, every moment is another moment they're going to get back with, with the necessary medical supplies. Uh, the explorer also thanked his fiance, who accompanied him on the expedition and left to obtain medical products that could be administered in the cave. NASA astronaut Frank Rubio now holds the record for the longest U.S. space flight. He surpassed the U.S. Space Agency's single endurance record of 355 days at the International Station. He arrived at the outpost in September last year for a routine six months, but the stay was doubled after his capsule developed a coolant leak. He'll be returning to Earth on September 27th. He'll have spent 371 days in space by then. We're at 28 past the hour. Beijing's at 18 degrees overnight. Tomorrow's cloudy and 28 degrees. Chongqing's down to 23 this evening, then sunny and 33. Last is at 10 overnight, then sunny and 24. Hong Kong has showers in 25 this evening. The showers continue through the day tomorrow with the high of 28. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 25 overnight, mostly cloudy and 32 on Saturday. Islamabad's 24 this evening, and uh, then we get thunder showers in 39 on the day for Saturday. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, China and Zambia have upgraded bilateral relations following a meeting between the presidents of the two countries. The head of the UN Weather Agency says the flood disaster in Libya could have been avoided. And the first defendant in Brazil's capital riots case gets a 17-year prison term. And Shane Bigham with you. Stay with us here on The Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. An General Railway Company Deutsche Director of the International Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. 
This might be the easiest way to say "I love you," since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you are a rookie, 你好，我的中文一点点 ，or a sophisticated learner. 我来北京五年了，我是本地人。There is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好。Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Begum, with you on this Friday. Still to come. In business, China's economy recorded growth in several sectors in August. In sports, a Chinese football star is headed to the UK. In culture and entertainment, China's rapidly growing gaming industry. To contact us, you can email audio newsroom at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at cgtn radio. First of all, with the day's headline news, here's Zhu Tianlu. Thank you, Shane. China and Zambia have agreed to lift their ties to a comprehensive strategic cooperative partnership following a meeting between the leaders of the two countries. Chinese President Xi Jinping called on the two sides to keep promoting their friendly cooperation, practice true multilateralism, and safeguard the interests of developing countries. President Xi also met Cambodian Prime Minister Hun Manet, who is on his first official trip since taking office. The two leaders hailed their friendship and pledged close. Closer cooperation to build a China-Cambodia community with a shared future. The Prime Minister of the Tripoli-based Government of National Unity of Libya says all government officials should share the responsibility for failing to maintain the burst dams which caused devastating floods. Abdel Hamid Deber says the problems on the dams that collapsed in the powerful storm last week have not been addressed for decades. He adds that the contracts and maintenance agreements for the two dams have not been utilized. In one way or another, I believe that we all bear responsibility, all Libyans. However, I, as your leader, bear the primary responsibility. And you, as the Ministry of Water, share in this responsibility. It is not the responsibility for people's dams, but the responsibility for managing these dams, overseeing them, and maintaining them. A report shows that the dams were not maintained, even though 2.1 million U.S. dollars were allocated for that purpose in 2012 and 2013. The floods have killed thousands of people, and thousands of others are missing. The worst-hit town is Derna, about 900 kilometers east of Tripoli. Hussein Sweden, with the Roads and Bridges Authority in the Tripoli-based administration, says the floods have severely damaged the road network in the city. Derna is considered to be the most affected city in eastern Libya. One of the biggest reasons for the high number of deaths is the collapse of the Wadi Derna bridge as a result of Storm Daniel. It was beyond the capacity of this bridge, as it swept away all the residential buildings in this valley. Lawmakers from the Eastern-based administration in Benghazi, led by Parliament Speaker Aguila Sala, paid tributes to the flood victims with a minute of silence observed to mourn them. Sala says necessary money will be provided for repairing roads, bridges, and facilities destroyed in the floods. He added, he adds that committees will also be formed to follow up on restoration work in affected areas. 
The head of Sudan's paramilitary ISF has threatened to set up a governing authority in areas that he in areas that his forces control if the army establishes its own governing body. A senior figure in Sudan's army-headed sovereign council said there should be a caretaker government. Army Chief General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan earlier ordered the dissolution of the ISF and branded it as a rebellious group. The two forces have been engaged in a conflict since April. International attempts at a long-term ceasefire have repeatedly failed. Morocco insists that Marrakesh will host International Monetary Fund and World Bank annual meetings next month, despite the recent earthquake that has killed nearly 3,000. People familiar with the plan say the two institutions are still assessing the meetings set to take place between October the 9th and the 15th. The sources say IMF and World Bank officials are deliberating whether the meetings will inhibit recovery efforts and if Marrakesh's infrastructure can handle the influx of people. The Brazilian Supreme Court has sentenced the first three defendants accused in the storming of government buildings in Brasilia in January to at least 14 years in prison. The defendants include a former employee of a water utility who was, who was arrested in the Senate building. The defendant faced charges including armed criminal association and damage to historic buildings. The three were also ordered to pay a fine of six million US dollars for vandalism, but the amount will be shared with other defendants to be tried later. The lawyer denied there had been an attempted coup and questioned the severity of the damage. Supporters of former President Jair Bolsonaro vandalized the Brazilian Congress, the Presidential Palace and the Supreme Court. They protested the victory of President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva in the October election and called for a military coup. A UNESCO committee has decided not to add Venice to the organization's World Heritage List in danger. Italy's culture minister says the city is not in danger and inscribing it onto the list would have been an undue move not based on objective facts. Floods and tourism have been threatening Venice. The culture minister says UNESCO has positively assessed attempts to address those issues via an anti-flooding system. The city has also approved a plan to charge tourists an entry fee. UNESCO says more work is needed to protect the Lagoon City. Thank you very much. That was Ju Tianlu with your headline news update. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's economy recorded growth in several sectors in August. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports and entertainment, in-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. 37 past the hour now. Turning to business and stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished lower on Friday. Timothy Pope has more. The uh, Chinese mainland markets got uh, an initial boost from some encouraging signs contained in the latest batch of economic data. Uh, The signs that the economy might be regaining some momentum, plus uh, an announcement from the central bank of a cut to commercial banks' reserve requirements uh, meant that uh, onshore equities did have a pretty decent morning. But uh, 
after lunch, investors started to take profits again, and the Shanghai Composite Index ended about a third of 1% lower. There was only a small increase in trading volume too, which suggests that the latest data didn't really lure many investors off the sidelines. Uh, but despite sliding for four consecutive sessions now, the Shanghai Composite Index still closes the week out higher, thanks to some pretty decent gains it made on Monday. Today we saw uh, healthcare and chip stocks leading. There was a moderate bump as well for real estate developers, despite latest data showing another fall for home prices and uh, property investment. But it has been a fairly quiet week, I suppose, for, uh, for trade, as investors have been really waiting for the regulators' measures to re-energize the markets uh, to really uh, start to take hold. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index gained over seven-tenths of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei increased more than one percent. Chinese authorities said the country's national economic performance in August showed good momentum. Industrial production grew steadily, with the value added of industrial enterprises above a designated size increased by 4.5%. The service sector maintained fast growth with an increase of 6.8%. Spokesperson Fu Linghui is with the National Bureau of Statistics. Overall, in August, major indicators showed marginal improvement and the national economy continued to recover and perform well, with high-quality development making steady progress and more positive factors accumulated. In the next stage, efforts will be made to continuously promote sustained improvement in economic performance, strengthen internal driving forces and diffuse hidden risk. Market sales continued to recover as retail sales of consumer goods reached 3.8 trillion yuan, roughly 522 billion U.S. dollars. They rose by 4.6 percent, with an increase of over 2 percent compared to July. The urban surveyed unemployment rate decreased from July, maintaining a reasonable range at 5.2 percent. China's central bank has announced it will cut the reserve requirement ratio for financial institutions by a quarter of a point to consolidate economic recovery and keep liquidity reasonably ample. The reduction is the second cut this year and is expected to release over 500 billion yuan, or roughly 69 billion U.S. dollars in medium and long-term liquidity. The bank says the reductions this year total 0.5 percentage points and could release over a trillion yuan in liquidity. After the reduction, the weighted average ratio for financial institutions will be around 7.4 percent. The central bank also says it'll improve monetary policy support for key areas and weak links, keep the exchange rate stable, and support the sustained recovery of the real economy. And for more on the latest economic data and policies, Lily Liu spoke with assistant economics professor Wang Yaojing from Peking University. Ms. Wang, so generally, the economic data for August are painting the picture, showing us marginal gains from the previous month. Uh, what are the highlights to you? Uh, so in August, we are looking at an accelerated growth in industrial added value, which is not merely a simple concept of output, but an indicator for the net wealth effect from industry production. So it means that for uh, the whole society, industrial production is creating more net gains than before. And this could be due to the fact that China is moving up the manufacturing ladder into a more technologically intensive area. And we can see that by product type, uh, solar power batteries, uh, service robots, and optoelectronic devices are the fastest growing categories, which are scoring 30% to 77% in August. 
And another highlight for August would be the service industry. The peak of summer traveling has led hotels and restaurants to thrive. And in the first eight months, China's service industry scored 8.1% growth as the sector that employs most workers. This is believed to be good news for the labor market as well. And also, uh, the PBOC recently introduced a slew of policies to support growth, including a second triple R cut this year on Thursday.、Um, when do you think these policies are kicking in? Well, the PBOC has cut the reserve requirement ratio by 25 basis points as of today,、uh, which is the fourth time since 2022.、Um, as an average consumer, we might not feel the differences right away. However, this rate cut has some policy implications. For、uh, local governments and banks,、uh, for local government, a lower rate would help them to、uh, with the special purpose bond issuance,、uh, which is expected to be issued mostly in September, and the funds to be used by the end of October. And for banks, the mortgage rates are lowered, and so cutting the reserve requirement ratio will enlarge the spread and help the banks lower debt holding costs. Now moving forward, Ms. Wan, how do you think can China further lower borrowing costs and support the real economy? Well, besides the various monetary and, and physical policies aiming to lower financing costs for the real economy, I would also like to add two more channels. One is market confidence. We are seeing how the Chinese government has been acting responsibly towards shocks and potential threats to the economy, and the government has made efforts to promote private economy. Um, with policy supports and, and, and taxation supports for small and medium enterprises, and is helping the market maintaining confidence in the economic outlook for China. And the other one is technologically、uh, technological advance、uh, with improved data collection and regulatory precisions. Technology is able to help. Ease the information asymmetry problem and lower financing costs for business owners with real business needs. And also, what are the emerging growth drivers in the economy, to your perspective? So, if you look back a little bit, China has been the world's largest, largest、uh, manufacturer for 13 years now, and is speeding up its new industrialization and informatization process. So, with 1.4 million engineer gra- undergrads graduating from Chinese higher education institutions every year, and strong policy support for innovation from the government, we are seeing or about to see new breakthroughs in key sectors on new generation. Information technology,、uh, new energy, and high-end equipment. These technology-heavy industries would be the value creators for the economy. That was Assistant Professor Wang Yaojing from Peking University analyzing the latest economic data in China. Well, Friday marks the 50-day countdown to the opening of the sixth China International Import Expo.、And、this year's CIIE consists of a series of activities, including the National Pavilion Exhibitions, Enterprise and Business Exhibitions, and the Hongqiao International Economic Forum. The total exhibition area exceeds 360,000 square meters. Around 3,000 companies have signed up to participate.、Uh, around 400 companies are returning to the expo after being absent due to the pandemic.、And、the sixth CIIE takes place at the National Exhibition and Convention Center in Shanghai from November the 5th to the 10th. 
Official stats show that sales prices for residential buildings in 70 medium and large-sized Chinese cities declined last month. New home prices saw a slight decrease in all-tier cities compared to July. In a yearly comparison, major cities reported modest upticks in new home prices. The situation is less favorable for pre-owned homes as their prices continued to decline nationwide at an accelerated pace. Official data shows that China's foreign trade with uh, the 152 countries covered by the Belt and Road Initiative reached nearly 13 trillion yuan, or roughly 1.8 trillion U.S. dollars, in the first eight months of this year. That was up 3.6%. The figure accounted for over 46% of the country's foreign trade. Exports of electronics boasted rapid growth, and the import of non-resource products also increased. In Xiamen, 22 new maritime Silk Road routes have launched so far this year, taking the number to 116. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, a Chinese football star is headed to the UK. The English Premier League is underway and there have been a few surprises even at this early stage of the season. Join us on this week's episode of Sideline Story to hear our thoughts about the performances of certain teams. We'll also talk about the impact of past and present Asian players in the league the strategic cooperation between the league and China's village football, as well as up-and-coming Chinese footballers to keep an eye on. Be sure to tune in to Sideline Story, your destination for sports news, analysis and discussions. At 47 past the hour now, turning to sports, and here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. We begin with football news, and China's Zhang Linyan is set to join Premier League club Tottenham Hotspur on a one-year loan. The 22-year-old striker is slated to participate in the Hangzhou Asian Games before heading to Britain. Previously, Zhang played for Grasshopper Zurich for nearly a year. She netted 11 goals in 22 appearances across all competitions, earning her the Ballon d'Or of the Swiss League. At the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup, Zhang was a starter for all three of China's Group D matches. Manchester United manager Eric Ten Hag reportedly wants Jadon Sancho to apologise for his social media post before being allowed to return to first team training. The England winger claimed to have been made a scapegoat for a long time in the post. United has since stated that Sancho is currently on a personal training programme pending a resolution of a squad discipline issue. United is dealing with various woes such as growing debt, injuries and the alleged domestic abuse case against Anthony. On the other side of Manchester, defending champion City announced that Kyle Walker has officially signed a new contract until 2026. The treble winning right back was heavily linked with a move to Bundesliga giants Bayern Munich. However, the 33-year-old has put pen to paper to remain with Manchester City for another three years. Voting is now open for this year's FIFA Football Awards. Fans are able to cast their votes for Best Women's Player, Best Men's Player, Best Women's Coach, Best Men's Coach, Best Women's Goalkeeper, Best Men's Goalkeeper and the Fan Award until October 6th. Four players each from World Champions Spain and runners-up England feature on the 16-player shortlist for the Best Women's Player. Six of the 12 nominees for the Best Men's Player award are from Premier League outfit Manchester City, a list that also includes Argentina's World Cup winning Lionel Messi. There are a host of domestic and European club football matches to look forward to this weekend. In selected fixtures in the Chinese Super League, Beijing Guoan plays Zhejiang and Shanghai Port faces Changchun Yatai. In the English Premier League, Liverpool play the Wolves, Manchester United face Brighton and Manchester City take on West Ham. In Serie A action, we have the Milan derby between Inter and AC Milan, while Juventus hosts Lazio. La Liga Giants Real Madrid plays Real Sociedad and Barcelona take on Real Betis. 
Finally, in the Bundesliga, Bayern Munich is up against Bayern Leverkusen. Greet Asia in Hangzhou. Embrace the excitement of the games. In today's Meet Asia in Hangzhou section, we take a look at the 17th edition of the Asian Games, which came to South Korea for the third time. Chiju has more. The 2014 Asian Games took place in Incheon, which beat the Indian city of New Delhi to win the hosting rights. It was the third time South Korea had staged Asia's showpiece event following Seoul and Busan. More than 9,500 athletes competed in 36 sports. Three spotted seal siblings were the official mascots of the games. They were chosen as symbolic to the future peace between North and South Korea. The game's slogan was "Diversity shines here." The games were overshadowed by doping scandals, as six athletes tested positive for banned substances and were expelled, including two gold medalists who were stripped of their medals. Yet again, China topped the medal table for the ninth consecutive time, winning 151 gold medals. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Qi Zhu. In Formula One, Chinese driver Zhou Guanyu says he is excited about racing in his home race in Shanghai next year. Getting everything done here, we can really focus on just continue improving as a team, as a group of people. And、uh, from my side, just really happy to be able to setting more into Formula One. Of course, next year, you know, it's a、uh, We have the home race, so been waiting for that for two years already. Joe has extended his contract to remain with Alfa Romeo next season, along with Finnish teammate Valtteri Bottas. The 24-year-old made his debut with the Swiss team last season. Meanwhile, the runaway leader in the Formula One standings, Max Verstappen, will face his toughest challenge of the season at Sunday's Singapore Grand Prix as he seeks to extend his record-breaking 10-race winning streak. Red Bull's two-time reigning world champion has never won at the Marina Bay circuit and admits claiming a first checkered flag will be a challenge. Rugby World Cup group stage action will resume this weekend. Three-time champions New Zealand will look to get back to winning ways when they take on Namibia. Defending champion South Africa, who have lost star player Malcolm Marks for the remainder of the tournament to an injury, play Romania. The number one ranked team in the world, Ireland, will take on an incredibly physical Tongan side. Other selected fixtures include 2003 winners England taking on Japan and two-time champions Australia against Fiji. And finally, Belgian rider Remco Evenpool produced another magnificent solo ride to win his third stage in the Vuelta da España, assuring himself of the blue and white jersey as the race's best climber. Evenpool got into a 14-man break at the start of the mountainous 18th stage. The group soon opened a lead of 10 minutes over the main peloton, with Evenpool first over the San Lorenzo to ensure he will wear the climber's jersey in Madrid on Sunday. His lead in the competition is now higher than the number of climbing points left in the race. Evenpool crossed the line in four minutes and 46 seconds. Sepp Kuss is leading the general classification with a 17-second cushion. And thank you very much. And that was Brandon Yates coming up in Culture and Entertainment, China's rapidly growing gaming industry. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X Men: Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world.
now 53 minutes past the hour. And turning to culture and entertainment, uh, Tian Yu joins us now. Thank you, Shane. The Chinese gaming industry is, is experiencing significant growth as companies strive to expand their global market presence. In August, a group of more than 30 Chinese game companies participated in a gaming event called Gamescom in Cologne, Germany. The event showcased a growing interest in Chinese culture among foreign gamers. Yang Yan takes a closer look. Black Myth Wukong has ignited the gaming community like a blazing fire at this year's Gamescom. The game's recent trailer release and the opportunity for players to experience 30 minutes of play has only heightened people's sense of anticipation. It's no surprise the game won the Best Visuals Award at the event. Developed by Game Science, a Hangzhou-based company, the role-playing game is set to be released next summer. Inspired by the classic Chinese novel Journey to the West, players will have the opportunity to embark on thrilling adventures in an awe-inspiring environment. Players credit the intense combat encounters with its strong appeal. With the rapid growth of the Chinese gaming market, a number of high-quality and influential Chinese games have emerged, capturing the attention of the global market. And we decided to go with NetEase because, like us, they are a developer. Um, they are developing very different games from ours, uh, and it's very exciting for us to be partnering with them because we're learning a lot. We're learning from uh, their craft of creating multiplayer games, mobile games, while we bring PC, console, high-end experience to the table. So. Uh, we have now the capacity as a group to develop new properties together that are going to be um, uh, internationally appealing. Some esports players from around the world have also become familiar with Chinese games. My favorite aspect of the Chinese cultural elements in Naraka is the skins. Uh, they are really fascinating and look beautiful. And uh, I think also Naraka is trying to uh, include both. Uh, uh, Western cultures and uh, Chinese culture at the in the game at the same time with these collaborations. And I think this is creating the bridge between these cultures to really uh, include Western players and Chinese players as well. Chinese gaming companies are actively targeting the larger international market and continuously venturing into emerging markets. They are expanding their global presence by incorporating elements of traditional Chinese culture into their self-developed games. That was Yang Yian reporting. The 2023 Beijing Culture Forum is underway in the Chinese capital. This year's event includes a main forum and five sub-forums to showcase cultural achievements and promote exchanges between different countries. The five sub-forums will focus on topics such as the preservation and utilization of cultural heritages and the relationship between literature, art, and social life. More than 600 guests from cultural fields at home and abroad will attend the forum. Someone has stolen nine ancient Chinese porcelain pieces from the Museum for East Asian Art in Cologne, Germany. The stolen artifacts, estimated to be worth more than a million euros, are mainly from the Ming and Qing dynasties. According to a photo claiming to reveal the museum's stolen relics list, at least three porcelain vases from the Qianlong period were stolen. They were made in Jingdezhen, China's 1,000-year-old porcelain capital in Jiangxi province. This area was also the creator of the country's finest 
finest porcelain craftsmanship during the Qing Dynasty. A group of 16 scholars will visit China to partic- participate in a forum and share their latest findings in archaeological research. The scholars come from various nations whose ancient uh, civilizations flourished along great rivers such as India, e- Egypt, and Russia. The 2023 World Great River Civilization Forum will be held in Zhengzhou. The forum-themed Ancient Civilization Studies in a Global Perspective will feature keynote speeches by experts. They will cover topics such as archaeology, Archaeological culture, settlement archaeology, and more. Thank you very much. That was uh, Tianyu with Culture and Entertainment. We're at 58 past the hour, checking the forecast before we go for the weekend, and uh, Beijing's down to 18 degrees this evening. Uh, tomorrow's cloudy and 28. Chongqing's at 23 overnight, then sunny and 33. Last is 10 overnight. Tomorrow, sunny and 24. Hong Kong has showers and 25 this evening. The showers continue through the day tomorrow with a high of 28. Elsewhere, Tokyo is 25 overnight. It's mostly cloudy and 32 on Saturday. Islamabad's 24 this evening, then thunderstorms and 39. Bangkok's down to 27 degrees, then thunderstorms and 34 tomorrow. In Africa, Nairobi's getting partly cloudy conditions and 26 degrees. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 14 this evening, then sunny and 34. Auckland's 9 overnight, then partly cloudy and 17. Port Vila's some clouds and 29 degrees Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, China and Zambia have upgraded bilateral relations following a meeting between the presidents of the two countries. And the head of the UN Weather Agency says the flood disaster in Libya could have been avoided. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From North to South, East to West, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 